I V M. You are listening to the Signal Daily, brought to you by Front Page Studios. A few years ago, Odisha and West Bengal fought a bitter war over something sweet, the Rasgulla. Both states laid claim to the renowned East Indian delicacy, but in 2017, when West Bengal was awarded a geographical indication or a GI tag for its variation of the sweet, Odisha was affronted. It responded with scholarly works to prove that the Rasgulla was actually invented in the state centuries earlier. It was only in 2019. when odisha also received a gi tag for its own variation of rasgulla that's when the war ended honestly it's quite a funny story but for your information india first registered its first gi product in 2004 and it was darjeeling tea since then over 500 gi tags have been registered across the country including maharashtra's alfonso mangoes kashmir's pashmina shawls tamil nadu's tanjavur paintings Bihar's Bagalpur silk and Karnataka's Udupi sarees but the issue is the GI fad is yet to benefit most producers as a mint report points out GI registrations highlights india's diverse cultural heritage but do not always translate into better economic opportunities for the local artists and producers with few exceptions like basmati rice most GI products don't have a global footprint and even when they do the profit is usually kept by traders and exporters the reason for this lack of global reputation and producers not being able to capitalize on gi tags has to do with an over emphasis on registrations and not enough resource allocations for market expansion and brand building a lack of standardization monitoring and quality checks on part of the government as well the registered proprietor means the counterfeits often flood markets while producers find it harder to claim the benefits of gi tags for example alfonso mango sellers allege farmers pass off other varieties as the real deal and tanjavur painters say even government shops sell fakes while some government initiatives like trade fairs and exhibitions have made an impact r&d initiatives skill development and brand endorsement strategies are all important to implement successful gi initiatives but unfortunately The Indian government has been super slow. For the next few minutes, you're going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy, and anything that leaves you with food for thought. Hello, I'm Manaswini, and this is the deep dive for twenty second December, twenty twenty three. It is Friday, but our vibe is a little grim today. We are going to talk about death and loss, about grief and sorrow, and about the emergence of a technology which promises that it can ease the pain of losing a loved one. I do realize that it could sound a little jarring. I mean, how would any sort of tech comfort a person who's terribly missing a loved one who's no longer alive? Well, it's by offering an AI-powered digital avatar of the dead. In China, a year ago, a man called Siku Wu lost his teenage son. He recently told the South China Morning Post that he could not move on from the pain of not having his son around anymore. So to comfort himself, Siku sought services of a Chinese ghost bot company called Superbrain. 
Now the grieving father keeps talking to his dead son's digital avatar which mimics his son's voice and expressions and answers the father's questions. In fact, even in the US, William Lucas, who donned many hats in his professional life, a police officer, an FBI agent, and a judge, advises her 75-year-old daughter Stephanie Lucas on how to deal with racism. Except the father died a year ago and Stephanie Lucas told the New York Times that before he died, her father had given hours and hours of interviews to an American company called Hereafter AI. She talks to her dead father through the company's app which generates answers to her queries based on those interviews in her father's voice. So this is actually happening around the world. People to overcome with their grief are turning to AI companies to make for them digital avatars of their loved ones. And there are many reasons to do so. Some didn't get a chance to say a proper goodbye. Some are desiring closure and some just can't live without the person they so intensely loved. And talking to an AI avatar is the only way they could go. In the world's leading AI powers, the US and China, a clutch of companies such as Replica, Storyfile, and Seance AI are offering these services. This industry is now dubbed as quote-unquote grief tech. I even read the best definition of this so-called grief tech in the publication Futurism, and I'm reading it out here. Quote, Grief tech aims to bottle deceased or dying loved ones into algorithms to preserve them forever. End quote. And all that these companies require to resurrect the dead is the writings and voice notes that they have left behind on which the AI models get trained. Or as Lucas's father did, some opt for giving detailed interviews to the companies about their life. And later, those who were authorized by the person are provided the afterlife services. As Mika Agarwal pointed out in the Vox, much like other servitization business models, grief tech apps provide users with tiered subscription plans. With a basic plan, you can only text your dead loved one. And at a premium subscription, you can have high-resolution video calls. Talking about why so many Silicon Valley companies are interested in resurrecting dead, author Tamara Nees wrote in her book, Death Glitch, How Techno-Solutionism Fails Us in This Life and Beyond, quote, Death is a lucrative business demonstrated by the long histories of the life insurance, estate planning, and funeral industries, and digital debt entrepreneurs are seeking a piece of the pie, end quote. So now, basically, this is the deal. There's an industry and AI avatars may truly be helping those who are grieving. But the emergence and adoption of this tech does raise a few solid ethical questions. First is, who is giving consent? Or is consent of the dead even required? In addition, given that we all have a trove of our data online, you know, like WhatsApp texts, voice notes, blogs, and those Instagram reels, it's a fair possibility that all of us can potentially have an AI-rendered afterlife. Maybe the AI age will have a new clause, do not bot me after my death, or maybe an explicit consent to do so. And before we sign off for the week, here is our third segment, One Last Thing, where we bring you an offbeat story that you won't find in the headlines. According to the Economic Times, Many Indians in their late 30s and early 40s have already started writing their wills. And in my opinion, they are quite early to the party. But that's the question. Why would young Indians want to pen a will so eagerly? Well, first, 
it is now much easier than ever to plan your estate. With the help of wealth management startups like Willgini, you can plan what you want to do with your estate even from home. And second, after the pandemic, even young folks can't escape thinking about their mortality. Covid scares and the increase in sudden heart attacks amongst the youth seems to have gotten them looking to protect their assets. And I guess that's why young Indians are writing a will. But wait, I do have a question. Have they already amassed wealth worthy of a will? According to the same Economic Times report, successful people in this age bracket have made big money from new age and digital businesses. And the only thing left to do after buying a car and house is to plan who would inherit the fortunes of your life. Also folks, before you go about your day, here is a quick heads up. The Signal Daily team is taking a breather from December 25th to January 1st for the holidays. But don't worry, we've got some of our timeless stories lined up from December 26th to December 29th. We'll be back with a brand new episode on January 3rd. Until then, stay tuned, enjoy the holidays and catch you in the new year. If you like listening to the Signal Daily, please show us some support. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this podcast. So feel free to shoot an email at hello at thesignal.co. The Signal Daily is produced in association with IVM. The episode was researched and written by Anoop Sembal and Dhruv Sharma, edited by Venkat Anand, produced by me, mastered and mixed by Manas and Nirvan. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are the signal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.